right, church family, hello. It's good to see you on this Palm Sunday. I'm grateful to open God's Word with you again this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to turn there. Uh, Mark chapter 9. We'll finish up Mark 9 this morning as we continue our journey through the Gospel. Uh, According to Mark, we will cover between verses 30 all the way to the end of the chapter today. Uh, verse 50. So Mark 9, 30 to 50. Uh, this, is a, this is a harder passage. Uh, it's got some pretty direct uh, truth from Jesus to his disciples specifically. So the audience today is the 12. And the truth of the matter is they're still missing it. They uh, continue to be unaware of some really simple yet profound realities about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want to tell you up front uh, that the language that Jesus uses in this parable today as he teaches his disciples is hyperbole uh, within this parable. If you can go back to, I don't know, is it late elementary school, middle school perhaps, when we learn what hyperbole is, uh, an exaggerated statement. It's not meant to be taken literally, but to awaken our senses and to evoke some strong impressions in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. I also want to say when we read hard passages, it's important for us to read hard passages always through the lens of Jesus's grace. And what that does for us, instead of reading really direct uh, messaging, teaching from Jesus through the lens of guilting or shaming uh, or fearing us to do better and be better, Uh, We're hearing Jesus always through the lens of his grace, that uh, we get empowered in his teaching uh, because of his love for us. I want to say those things uh, on the front end. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to read through the passage uh, a little kind of slowly, and I'll unpack a few things here and there, and then we'll spend some time at the end kind of honing in and landing on a few specific things. So again, uh, Mark 9. 30 to 50, uh, I'll begin, uh, obviously, in verse 30, we'll read the first uh, three verses together. Um, It says, Then uh, they went on from there, Jesus and his disciples, and they passed through Galilee, Galilee, the northern region of Israel. And Jesus did not want anyone uh, to know, for he was teaching his disciples. So, Um, Not sure what direction they were going, but probably taking a back road, perhaps, uh, to avoid all of the crowds. It was important for Jesus to have some time just with his disciples. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Verse 32, but they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. This prediction of uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ, uh, it's the second of three that we will see uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, It's interesting, uh, the first one was in chapter 8, this one in chapter 9, Jesus adds an element uh, in this prediction, and he He says that he, I'm reading out of the ESV, he says that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Another way to translate that is to be betrayed into the hands of men. Perhaps that's why the disciples were afraid to engage with 
him on it. Uh, they didn't understand, the text says. Uh, perhaps they didn't want to understand. They didn't want to really think about what he was saying. Uh, joy, the joy and the love of following Jesus, yes. Uh, but uh, we, and I'll say we, like they, we like to avoid thinking about things like suffering and betrayal and persecution and death. And so they didn't understand, and they were afraid to ask him, verse 33, and they come to Capernaum. Capernaum uh, is an ancient city on the uh, kind of the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. They make their way down to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So it's interesting, Jesus is talking with them about his suffering and his death, and they are arguing with each other about who's the greatest among them. And he pauses on the journey, and he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child, and he put the child in the midst of them. The similar account in the book of Matthew says that Jesus put the child in his lap. And he put the child in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, he said to the twelve, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You receive not only me, Jesus is talking about himself, but you also receive the Father who sent me. So again, Jesus is engaging on this journey uh, from the northern part of Israel down through the region of Galilee, eventually to uh, the city of Capernaum. He's talking about his resurrection, and the disciples are arguing again with each other, uh, in Mark 8, if you remember, they were arguing about who forgot the bread. You remember that story? In the beginning of Mark 9, they were arguing with the scribes uh, because they weren't able. They had failed to uh, cast out a demon out of that little boy. And now they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. We don't know what spurred on this argument, but I think perhaps it was about the transfiguration story. If you remember, it was only Peter and James and John who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And then Jesus told them after they saw him transfigured that they weren't allowed to tell anyone about that until after the resurrection. And so perhaps there was some jealousy going on with the other nine against the twelve. Perhaps there was some arrogance going on with Peter, James, and John because they were privy to something that the other nine weren't. We don't really know, but I can imagine uh, that scene, that argument about who is the greatest. And so Jesus uh, pauses, he has everybody sit down, and he calls them all together because this is an obvious teaching moment for him uh, to uh, help his disciples see some things that they weren't seeing. So he picks up this child, uh, he, they're in a home in Capernaum, and he begins to teach a parable, and he is using this child as his illustration uh, and some important things that he wants to teach. Children 
you should know uh, in ancient Israel in the first century, they were very insignificant on the honor scale. If you have a, an honor scale and there's uh, people who are insignificant and people who were very significant on the honor scale, children were very insignificant, no power, uh, no status, dependent, vulnerable, and needy. It's interesting when we think about this, Jesus didn't actually rebuke uh, the disciples for talking about greatness. But what he does is he redefines greatness for them. And how he is going to uh, redefine greatness for them is with the phrase humble service. This is what greatness is. Greatness is loving and caring and serving the vulnerable. It is caring and serving and loving the dependent, those in need, like like this little child. And Jesus said uh, this phrase, uh, you receive this child in my name. I would encourage you to uh, underline that phrase, in my name. And then he says, if you receive, and in, in verse 37, the word receive there is uh, four times in that one verse. It says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him or the Father who sent me. Perhaps I'm reading out of the ESV. Perhaps your translation there says welcome, anyone who welcomes a child. Uh, I, I think that translation is a little too light for us to actually understand what Jesus is saying receive is a much better translated word. It means to make your own, to receive, to make your own, to accept. Uh, it denotes a shift and a change. Uh, not just welcoming someone, but receiving someone, denoting uh, a change in what they were doing, a, um, a transformation, a shift. Uh, and so Jesus is saying receiving a child is receiving me and receiving the Father. And then at this point of this really uh, important uh, teaching moment in Jesus, and not, re not rebuking greatness but redefining it, he gets interrupted in mid-sentence. And usually, as we read through the Gospels, usually it's Peter who uh, sticks his foot in his mouth and says something stupid. Uh, but this time he kind of hands the baton to John, and John decides to step in this time. And he uh, interrupts Jesus with a question that exposes their prideful jockeying for position. They were already showing their pride and their selfishness in arguing about who the greatest is, and you're going to see uh, it's going to happen again in the next verses. So uh, let's keep reading verses 38 to 41. Jesus had just told them about uh, receiving a child means receiving me and in the very next verse. And then John said to him, interrupting him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out a demon in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his 
reward. This is uh, pretty ironic if you uh, remember what we were talking about just last Sunday in the previous text. The disciples had just failed at casting out a demon and they were in that huge argument with the scribes and the crowd because of it. And now they are wanting to stand in the way of someone who was actually successful at doing what they failed at because this particular person wasn't on their ministry team. It wasn't following them. And so they're troubled by this other guy's success and they're troubled by their failure and they're trying to stop it. And so we see their um, insecurity rise up. We see their pride rise up. And then in this, uh, in these verses, Jesus says the famous phrase, the one who is not against us is for us. The context here is ministry under persecution, the advancement of the gospel of grace. And so specifically, the context here is about ministry and the persecution that the gospel message is facing. Jesus isn't talking about salvation here, but ministry in his name, that phrase in my name or in his name has come up two or three times already in the passage and then Jesus makes it pretty clear here, whether it's mighty works or powerful supernatural works like casting out demons or the simplicity of a humble act of giving a cup of cold water, Jesus says, if it's in my name, if it's in the name of Jesus, it is great. And so we see some things about greatness here. I want to point out already two things. Uh, receiving and welcoming children, uh, people who are vulnerable. Jesus calls that great. He's redefining greatness. And then in the verses that we just read, he defines it this way. Greatness is humble service in my name. Even offering someone a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus is greatness. And as we continue to read, it'll be our third example of greatness in our text. We'll continue to reading verses 42 through 50. This will be the third example of how Jesus redefines greatness. Sharing, operating in generosity, living at peace with one another, as opposed, as opposed to selfishness, as opposed to uh, bickering about greatness. Jesus will help them with this parable and uh, his use of hyperbole to grab their attention that greatness is sharing and living at peace uh, with each other. Let's read uh, the rest of our passage, verses 42 to 50. Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones, remember Jesus has a little child in his lap. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, another way to translate that is to stumble. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's Kind of like a picture of a mob hit, really. It's a big, huge millstone around someone, and into the sea they go. It's pretty, pretty direct. And then he continues on the hyperbole, the intensity of his language to grab their attention. Again, he's saying, if you cause a little one to stumble, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell uh, or Gehenna. I'll explain that in just a minute. To the unquenchable fire. 
And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. And lastly, in verse 50, salt is good. But if, it, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have, have salt in yourselves. Here's, here's the definition. Here's the redefining of greatness. Have salt in yourselves. Share. Be generous with each other. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace. Be at peace with one another. Boy, we have some things to uh, talk about here together. I, I just want us to, just to take a deep breath here. Again, this is hyperbole. Jesus is using a metaphor. He's speaking in parable. He's telling stories. Uh, he's painting a picture for people so that they, these disciples, so that they understand something really really important. And, and, and before we discount this or, or, or it really messes with us, let's just acknowledge we use hyperbole all the time in our lives. Uh, you parents watching or listening, uh, we're uh, engaging with our kids to clean the room and they're not doing what we ask them to. And we say something like, I've told you to clean your room a million times. Well, we haven't really told them to clean their room a million times. What we're using hyperbole, we're using exaggerations to uh, get uh, someone's, our children's attention. Or we might say, some of you might have said before, this is the worst day of my whole life, right? We're using hyperbole to make a point about uh, the difficulty of the day. So we, we use hyperbole, and Jesus is obviously using hyperbole here in this parable as well. It's not meant to be taken literally, uh, if it was, that would be some serious, that would be some serious reality. Uh, not, not meant to be taken literally, it is meant to be taken seriously. It's disruptive grace, right? To get our attention. Uh, grace meets you right where you are. It meets you right where you are, but uh, the grace of Jesus loves you so much that it won't leave you right where you are. And so we have this direct serious parable that is using hyperbole. Um, let's talk about uh, hell for a second. The word is Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna was actually a literal valley outside of Jerusalem, outside the city walls. Uh, in ancient times, even uh, way before uh, this uh, historical context, um, it was used as a crematorium. Uh, for child sacrifice. Uh, in later times, in uh, the day of Jesus, it was a refuse dump uh, where fires were continually burning in a literal place uh, called Gehenna outside of Jerusalem. And it became associated, Gehenna for first century Jews became associated with the place of fiery punishment. Jesus uses this word to the unquenchable fire. So Gehenna, this literal place outside of Jerusalem, became associated with the place of fiery punishment. Ever how you and want to interpret that, I'm not going to take time today to spend too much time other than this to talk about this. But Jesus did say to Gehenna, 
uh, to unquenchable fire. It would be better for you to do these things than to cause a little one to stumble, uh, not meant, again, to be taken literally, but certainly meant to be taken seriously. Let's talk about the phrase, everyone will be uh, salted with fire. Uh, Salt was a preservative, and so uh, they didn't have refrigeration. And so they would use salt as a preservative. And fire, uh, here in that phrase, uh, everyone will be salted with fire. It's verse 49. Uh, Fire was a purifier. Um, either with either through persecution because um, people were facing persecution for following in the way of Jesus or in self-judgment to call yourself out on the carpet yourself. Uh, fire was an idea of purification. And so uh, the contrast that I want to help you make in the text is verse 44 and verse 49. If you look in verse 44 again, the, the fire there... Um, is the fire of Gehenna, to contrast that with the purifying fire that Jesus is talking about in verse 49. So I think think the exhortation here for us to understand and embrace is to be purified, to purify yourselves. Everyone will be salted uh, with fire. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, First, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly, then you will clearly be able to see to take the speck out of your own eye. Again, the exhortation, uh, purify yourselves, be purified. That's the first exhortation I see here. Uh, The second is have salt among yourselves in this passage and be at peace with each other. In other words, uh, be generous. Be generous, share, and be at peace with each other instead of clamoring for who is the greatest. Instead of trying to keep people on the outside, uh, we want to be generous. We want to share. We want to be generous. And again, it's the third reality of him redefining greatness uh, for us. And so uh, the important discipleship lesson for the disciples, the important discipleship lesson for us uh, is this? I, I think I would simplify this whole this whole passage uh, to one word, and the word is humble. Jesus is teaching his disciples about humility and the importance of humility, and so the question for them to ask, for us to ask, is: Are we humble? Uh, am I am I humble? Are you humble? This entire text, again, is about discipleship toward humility. Jesus is leading and teaching the 12. He is turning everything of the world uh, upside down. And kingdom discipleship is about humility. It's about humble service. The similar account, again, from Matthew 18. I want to compare a couple of verses with you. Matthew 18 Verse 3, in the similar account in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, unless, unless you turn, unless you change, unless you repent and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In our passage this morning, Mark 9.35, Jesus says, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and a servant of all. 
greatness is humble service. In my life, as I think about ministry and people and following Jesus and discipleship and service and ministry, uh, the most spirit-filled people I know are humble servants. People who operate in service and they operate in humility, they're the most spirit-filled people that I personally know. Uh, People who serve behind the scenes and they need no public affirmation or praise because of it. They're simply just disciples of Christ walking in humility and service uh, to people. Um, I want to just offer kind of a learning tool uh, in thinking about processing parables of Jesus. They're, they're really throughout the Gospels. And when Jesus teaches um, and he's using a parable, uh, I want to invite you to begin to learn to ask yourself who, who you are in the story. Uh, who are you in this particular parable to really understand more about what Jesus is teaching. And in this, in this particular parable, in Mark chapter 9, are, are you, am I, are we, are we the humble servants? Do we receive children? Do we become like children? Are we offering a cup of water in the name of Jesus? Or, in the parable, are, am I, are you, are we, are we the ones that are arguing, uh, striving, uh, jockeying for position, uh, trying to be the greatest? And in doing so, what I see in the parable uh, in this teaching here, uh, in doing so, in operating that way, arguing, striving, jockeying for position, when we do that, we cause little ones to stumble. I think a simple way to think about causing little ones to stumble is this, looking down on them causes them to stumble. Minimizing Minimizing the vulnerable, minimizing the dependent, minimizing children causes them to stumble. And that's what Jesus is warning his disciples about, teaching them about uh, humble service. The world's standard, we know this, the world's standard of greatness is position, it's power, it's status. And that's what the disciples were jockeying for. They're arguing about who's the greatest, and they're trying to eliminate somebody who is successful at casting out a demon because he wasn't part of their ministry team. And Jesus, again, he's flipping everything upside down. The paradox of the kingdom of God is this. Loving a child in my name is great. Giving a cup of water to someone in need. In my name is great. Again, verse 41, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. I just, I think, you know, we read this passage at first glance and it seems hard, but uh, when we read it through the lens of grace and we receive it from the love of God in Jesus, I, I think it's actually pretty simple stuff that humble service is greatness. We think about discipleship, we think about following Jesus, we think about ministering in the name of Jesus. Humble service is greatness. The way of the world uh, is achieved greatness. The way of the world is achieved greatness. It's stepping on people, even stepping over people to get there. 
but the way of the kingdom is received greatness. Coming under, coming under people as the servant of all. The reality about achieved greatness is this, it can be taken away from you, but a received greatness that we receive from Christ uh, can never be taken away from us. I want to close our time by uh, just thinking about some things that has been really fun and uh, exciting for me this week in um, doing a deep dive into this passage. Uh, so I'll, I want to just close with some uh, attention on verse 50. Uh, Jesus again says, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. I, w- I wondered if, uh, if you've ever, I was thinking a, st- a story. I, I, I haven't really been in a whole lot of fights in my life, but I do remember I was in middle school and I did get into a fight once. And I, I, I took a nice, I took a nice, I took a, I took a blow right to, right to the face and busted my lip. I, I've busted my lip a lot over the years playing basketball, but if you've ever had your lip busted or perhaps you've taken a punch, uh, think about this for a second. Do you know what blood tastes like? For those that don't know, it tastes salty. And uh, when people, uh, if you think about this for a second, when people go to the ER, very often the first, uh, the first intervention that people get in the, in the ER is getting an IV. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you go to the ER and you get an IV, an IV saves lives. Uh, do you know what uh, one of the prominent um, things in an IV bag is? Is a salt that's dissolved in sterile water. I was online this week um, and read this from the good old internet. Uh, that uh, salt is a fluid of choice for resuscitation efforts for people that are fighting for their lives. And so what I want you to think about with me for a second is when Jesus says in verse 50, salt is good. Again, salt is a preservative. Salt is good. And what I want you to do is connect his statement in verse 50, salt is good, with his prediction of his suffering and death in verse 31. Again, when he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Salt is good. It was an ancient preservative. Salt, salt is is in our blood. The blood of Jesus, it saves us and it preserves us. I hope, I hope you're making the connection that I'm trying to make uh, with you uh, right now. Salt is good. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus saves and preserves us. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, in Christ we have redemption We are resuscitated, we are saved, we are redeemed through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. Jesus is grace. Jesus is love. Jesus is mercy. Jesus is redemption. Jesus is salvation. His blood is for you. His life for your life. Verse 50, again, salt is good. Salt 
is a preservative. Jesus' blood saves and preserves our lives. And so when Jesus says, have salt in yourselves, perhaps he's saying, have me, have me among yourselves, have my generosity for you among yourselves. And when you look to me, you will be at peace with one another. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus himself is our peace. And so the gospel truth, very simply, this morning is this. Jesus has achieved it. We simply get to receive it by his grace. His hands, the hands of Jesus, never caused him to sin. But he took nails in his hands for us. His feet never caused him to sin, but he took a nail through his feet for us. This is the gospel of grace, his life for our life. And if for some reason what we've been talking about uh, together in these last few minutes um, is missing you for some reason, I want to I wanna invite you to think about this as we close this morning. I want you to think about a second grade classroom. Perhaps you've observed one. Perhaps you could even find someone that's seven or eight and have them tell you about their classroom. Uh, I, I think about a second grade classroom because my daughter Michaela, who is eight, is in the second grade right now. Here's what you won't see in a second grade classroom. You will not see kids stepping over each other for greatness. Here's what you will see in a second grade classroom. Uh, you'll see them sharing. What you will see is what it actually looks like for children from all different kinds of backgrounds. You'll see them living at peace with each other. You will see acceptance of others instead of exclusion. You will see a spirit of humility instead of arrogance and cockiness. You will see humble servants, humble service instead of arrogant behavior. And what you will see in a second grade classroom, not perfectly, but you will see this. You will see harmony instead of division. What you will see in a second grade classroom is what Jesus teaches the disciples and is teaching us this morning about what it means to follow him in Mark 9, verses 30 to 50. And unless we become like children, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is greatness, humble service in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, we're grateful to be on the receiving end of your truth that sets us free. Lord, we thank you uh, that we uh, get to uh, receive uh, from you uh, the liberating truth this morning that whoever receives, whoever cares for, loves, serves, one such child in the name of Jesus receives you, and whoever receives you receives the Father. Uh, Lord, we believe the gospel this morning, that you have achieved it for us, and we receive it. Lord, I pray that we would be humble servants as we follow you in our lives. In Jesus' name.
we pray. Amen. I want to, again, invite you this morning to take some time uh, to uh, take communion together with your family. The blood of Jesus shed for you, the body of Jesus broken for you, uh, to receive once again, tangibly, uh, the gospel for you. And as you are stirred in worship to uh, bring offerings to our church, as we desire to be a conduit of your your generosity in our community, uh, you can give online or you can mail those uh, offerings into our P.O. box. God bless you, church.